G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast, our off-season edition. We've got the AFL National Draft coming up in a week's time. Uh, still plenty of senior list uh, machinations going on and some interesting twists and turns, which we're going to talk about in our new segment. Plenty more besides that, of course. Uh, number 17 this week in our vinyl and video series, our favourite 20 movies and songs of all time. More great footy flashbacks. And, of course, the rant-off, as I say, very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? I'm going well. Uh, yeah. Bit of sport around. And, of course, we've got the draft coming up, so a little bit of hope there for a few clubs. Yeah, a couple of interesting things happened during the week, football-wise as well. So, football never far away from the back page, is it? Uh, no, it's not. And I think the uh, lesson out of the last few days is uh, in AFL list terms, you can never be too careful. I'll tell you, though, one thing you don't have to be too careful with is when you trot off down Bridport Street, Albert Park, to the finest fast food establishment in Melbourne. You don't have to exercise any caution at all because you know you are going to get absolute quality. What would I be talking about there, Fanny? Well, you would have trotted down to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and you would you would have found yourself at the iconic Andrews Hamburgers. And, yeah, you can throw caution to the wind when it comes time to order. Why don't you grab yourself a burger with your favourite extra little bits and bobs? Are you an Eggman Rowan in a burger? Uh, I'm actually allergic to egg, which I reckon I've told you now about a dozen times, but uh, no egg on burgers for me. I should know, a dozen eggs. What a pity. But how about, I, I, I know you're not keen on the pineapple. Am no, I correct? I'm very anti-sweet uh, things on savoury food, so yes. no pineapple. Bacon? Love bacon. There we go. Why don't you grab yourself a double bacon, and you can get a double patty in the burger as well, of course. You can beef it up. Gee, that'd be a good burger. Two serves of bacon. Twice those beautiful beef patties, all the cheese melting, the tomato and the lettuce. That's throwing caution to the wind. That's not too careful. That's just beautiful. Andrew's Hamburgers. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. That's some plug. I tell you what, I reckon they might uh, give us double this week, given the quality of that sponsor's plug. All right, plenty to get through. Let's waste no more time. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, got to start uh, this week with a really interesting story vis-a-vis list management. Uh, If you're not across it, uh, quite bizarre, really. Gold Coast needed to free up three spots on their senior list ahead of the national draft. Um, Clubs have to have a minimum of three picks in the draft. And so the Suns, after discussing it with the players concerned, delisted Rory Thompson, Jez McLennan, and midfielder of the last two seasons, Hugh Greenwood, all on the understanding they would be redrafted. But that didn't account for the interest of his former associate at Adelaide Football Club. And now, of course, North Melbourne coach David Noble who saw this and immediately got on the blower. And the upshot is that the Kangaroos swooped in and offered Hugh Greenwood a two-year deal as opposed to the one year the Suns were prepared to offer him. And uh, they are snapping him up as a delisted free agent. Gold Coast misses out on a player they wanted to keep, one who had played 32 
out of 39 games over the last two seasons and been terrific for them. And uh, bottom line here, absolute embarrassment for the Suns. A bit of a coup for North Melbourne. We'll talk about them in a minute, what it might do for their midfield. But I think the um, most fitting quote about this whole saga came from Gold Coast Chief Executive Mark Evans uh, trying to, um, well, I guess, save a bit of face. But pretty hard to do that given what's happened. And his quote was, our preference would be that Hugh Greenwood played with us in 2022. It's a slight deviation from that. Well, Mark, I'd say it's more than a slight deviation. <laughs> you've lost him. It's a total deviation. Uh, you've lost a player you could ill afford to lose. Of course, uh, so many young players in that side still, they need all the experience they can get. And Greenwood, great club man, and uh, had performed very well for them over two seasons. Uh, total embarrassment, I'd say. How do you see it? From the Gold Coast perspective, absolutely caught with their pants down. You know, I've, I've always thought, Rowan, that there has been a, and this is common practice, I must concede this to the Gold Coast, they're certainly not the only club that, through this management needs, delists decent players, puts them back on the rookie list, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not as though other teams haven't done this. Although, just, I, just let me cut in there quickly, uh, yep. th this is true. However, do you remember when um, Tim Watson retired at Essendon at the end of 1991? And I think West Coast yes. drafted him. I mean, like it's, it's happened 25 years ago. So um, I wonder if clubs just got a little bit blasé about that process. Exactly. That that would be what's happened, but they just, I guess, assumed that other clubs kept their sort of business to themselves and respected what, for most clubs, really is a bookkeeping entry. But it's not. And all the planets aligned against Gold Coast and for North Melbourne. As you say, maybe a key element is David Noble's previous relationship with Hugh Greenwood and the fact that Hugh Greenwood, who will be 30 during the upcoming season, is one of those players that I guess Gold Coast felt that they could keep on a year-by-year -year contract and all North Melbourne had to do was double the offer. And quite sensibly, Hugh Greenwood uh, has headed down to Melbourne to play for the Kangaroos. Look, as you said, we'll discuss his value to North Melbourne and what Adelaide miss out on. But Really, if you, I think all clubs are going to have to be very careful in the future. When I heard that they were doing that bookkeeping entry, as I describe it, I immediately thought, gee, Hugh Greenwood's a pretty good player to be shuffling the deck chairs with. Well, well, I, didn't expect, I didn't expect him to go elsewhere. Now, well, uh, Michael Whiting wrote a good piece on this for uh, the AFL website, and the player he threw up that uh, they could have put on that list instead was Darcy McPherson, who only played 11 games last year, seen now as a bit of a fringe player. Uh, Gold Coast were happy to shop him around in the trade period. He didn't want to go, though. But why wouldn't you want... Why wouldn't you put a player who, you know, you thought was more disposable than... A senior midfielder. I, I just, I don't understand it at all. Here, here. Well, well done, North Melbourne. And as you quite rightly point out, and the rest of the football world mouth agape, it's a considerable loss for the Gold Coast. We're talking about the player who tackles more than anybody else in the game. And that is a tick, a big tick in the box for North Melbourne, isn't it? Because there are, a younger side, a developing side, but to have somebody that they know will make it hard for the opposition to move the ball is not only good for their midfield, but it sets a great example for that young team, doesn't it? It does, and uh, they've got some great emerging young midfielders. Uh, obviously, Luke Davies, Uniac, one of them, uh, Phillips, another one, uh, Simkin now, um, you know, a more senior member of that side, but... Uh, you know, Ben Cunnington, when he's been injured, has left the Roos in a bit of a hole. I just think from that leadership uh, perspective, but also the hard body perspective too, he provides the perfect complement to that group.
group of up and coming young mids. So um, well done, David Noble. Well done, North Melbourne. And uh, again, we said this a bit, but for a side that won the wooden spoon, um, I think their prospects ahead of next season are pretty bright for a side that finished on bottom of the ladder. Couldn't agree more. And it's going to be a bit of a, a job for football commentators, isn't it? Because that midfield, as you say, contains some real talent, but two of the stars of that midfield are going to be Davis Uniaki and Horn Francis. And that's only two players, but four names. That's a very good point. Uh, of course, uh, Horn Francis, really exciting prospect. I saw him running around in a couple of sandful finals during September. And uh, boy, I was, I was super impressed with what I saw. So uh, pretty excited about him coming aboard too. One uh, ray of light for the Suns in the last few days at the same time, however, the long-term signing of Took Miller, who had an outstanding uh, 2021. He has been signed to a long-term deal, five years, 25 now. So that will take him up to 30, uh, which, of course, has lent itself to that overworked phrase, a son for life. I can't see him running around in the Gold Coast jumper when he's 64, but he will certainly be there, you'd think, for the rest of his AFL career. So at least they've managed to hang on to one finding. So uh, a little bit of good news for the Suns in an otherwise pretty bleak few days. You bet. And they had to re-sign him long-term, didn't they? So they had a pretty difficult week. North Melbourne took Hugh Greenwood, but took stayed at the Gold Coast Suns. All right. Well, uh, more COVID capers. We seem to have them every week, uh, but we probably should get used to it because, uh, as people have been keen to remind us, we are living with this pandemic now. So there's always going to be people with it. And uh, the latest uh, casualty to COVID uh, wasn't a player, actually, but Essendon Chief Executive Xavier Campbell um, who has been diagnosed with COVID. Uh, he hasn't been at the club since uh, last Wednesday, so a week ago. Today, um, they think everyone else is okay, but pre- as a precautionary measure, other administrators in that club uh, went and took tests and isolated until they were negative. But uh, he's down with COVID. Um, another one, though, and again, uh, ramifications on this for Gold Coast. Levi Casbolt, who I think the Suns were um, toying with the idea of uh, picking up, he uh, has exhibited some vaccine hesitancy as well. So it could be another uh, possible list acquisition the Suns are hoping to make cast into doubt as well. The big news, though, finally, of course, and we did talk about this last week, but uh, we didn't think it would finish with this, that's for sure. That was Carlton key defender Liam Jones actually pulling the pin on his career and an estimated $500,000 salary uh, next season because of his reluctance to be vaccinated. And, uh, boy, that surprised me. Um, I reckon it probably surprised the Blues as well and uh, some major ramifications there for their defensive stocks next season. I just don't get it, Rowan. I simply do not get it. There is certainly no suggestion locally, internationally, that taking the vaccine has any serious long-term effects for individuals. Of course, we know that there has been some blood clotting issues, but we're talking about uh, one in millions. So the risk is incredibly minor. Everybody has the right. We live in a free society. Liam Jones has the right to not take his vaccine. Half a million dollars this year. That necessarily, not necessarily would have been the end of his career. A good player. He may have then been put on a year-by-year contract, Rowan. Where's has he not received some sage counsel from somebody? Is he being encouraged in this behavior? Is he unfortunately, and a lot of people do this, has he downrode his vision? Is he blinkered because he's on the internet, on social media with like minded people? I don't know. I, as I say, he has the right. I just 
I just can't believe it. I can't believe he is secure enough financially uh, to be able to snub his nose at the sort of money that that surgeons don't earn and the Prime Minister barely earns. Gee, it's, a, it's an amazing decision. Well, several AFL figures have suggested he may not be the last either. There may still be a few more um, vax-hesitant people uh, or players who we haven't learned of yet. But, boy, it's a, a costly decision. I guess on the one hand, you've got to um, sort of give him kudos for sticking to his guns. But it's just that, uh, well, we think they're ill-advised guns, as this state um heads towards the 90% double vaccination rate. And um, that is a major milestone. And I think it shows that the vast bulk of this state is united in doing the right thing here. And as we keep saying, not just about protecting themselves, but about protecting other people. So um, it's a strange one. What do you think uh, the ramifications for Carlton in terms of their defensive structure? Because... Defence has certainly been an issue for them. They uh, leaked scores heavily last season. I think that was possibly as much about the defensive weakness of their midfield as the actual back six. But um, to put the onus on the likes of Caleb Marchbank now to, to get fit and to stay more durable and to, uh, to fill a bit of a hole there, and not a bit of a hole, a pretty big hole. That's the name that immediately comes to mind because... Of course, Wietering, Jacob Wietering had a very good season in 2021, but he only holds down one of the key defensive posts and they need some size to support him. Lynn Jones has been a very good aerialist in his time at Carlton, of course. An amazing career at the Bulldogs, sort of scorned as a forward, really on his last chance when moved back at Carlton, has become a fixture ever since. So Carlton need a very fit, Caleb Marchbank to play week in, week out in 2022. I guess another unknown there uh, is just, you know, w- will it have the same impact it might have had under the same coach? And of course, uh, David Teague now having made way for Michael Voss. Um, who knows? Perhaps Voss is sort of thinking a, about a, uh, a game style which would put less onus on that defence to hold up. Who knows? Or maybe if he's pondering what sort of game style to pursue that, whatever one that is, uh, and it's a good one if you can get it, that doesn't put too much pressure on the defence, that might be one he thinks about now. But, um, yeah, bad news for the Blues and for Blues fans, of course, because, as you say, he'd been a real surprise uh, revelation as a key defender and a, a big tick um, for the Blues in terms of their recruiting in what, uh, in many other ways, has been a pretty bleak period. Hey, well, hey Rowan, talk yeah. about talk about um, early tests for our new coaches. Of course, at Collingwood, Craig McRae being faced with the Jordan Dugowie issue, and now Vossi at Carlton losing a key defender. It has not been for both of the new boys a a sort of an easy pre-Christmas way to step into the new job. No, that's a very good observation. It's uh, certainly not your routine, cushy introduction uh, with uh, smiles all around and the uh, the puff pieces being written at pre-season camps and whatever, particularly Craig McRae and, of course, the Dugowie situation still ongoing and it's gone ominously quiet on that front too. So... Um, fair bit bubbling around in the football world as we head towards the national draft in about a week's time. All right, that's enough footy news for this week. I think it's time we discussed uh, the cinema and the recording studio. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Radio vinyl and video time as Finey and I count down our favourite 20 movies and songs of all time. We've done numbers 20, 19, 18. What will be revealed with number 17? Well, perhaps not surprisingly, I've gone for a bit of punk and I've gone with uh, one of my very favourite bands and a real cult band for music aficionados. That band is from Minneapolis, Huskadoo. 
uh, American punk trio who, uh, well, they could have been massive. They were certainly pretty big uh, for a couple of years there, often bracketed with REM in the mid-'80s. Um, but uh, amazing career, Huskadoo started off as a real thrashy punk band with songs barely over two minutes, ended up about eight, nine albums later as a very smooth, almost poppy sounding three-piece band, uh, actually sounded quite like REM at the end too. Remarkable journey, but boy, they were prolific from uh, the years of, I think, 1981 through to 1987, releasing a couple of EPs and, yeah, pretty sure eight albums. Uh, one year, I think they released two albums and an EP. So uh, certainly recorded a lot. I love most of what they do. Very... Um, Bob Mould, the frontman, one or two singer-songwriters, Grant Hart, the drummer, the other. Uh, a very buzzy sort of guitar sound Bob Mould had. Lots of fuzz in their mix um, and a real shuffling sort of drum sound, but real energy in everything they did. So I've picked this track from their debut album called Everything Falls Apart. Uh, the title track of that, and like I said, this one goes for barely two minutes, so this little grab is about a quarter of it, but it will certainly give you a taste of some very early Huskadoo. You know what, Rowan? I'll listen to the song, and I'm not saying this in any way to be derogatory. It's got that sort of garage band punk sound to it, which I really liked, by the way. I was interested for you to say that it was early Huskadoo. And was that a particularly well-known single of theirs? I don't think it was. No, they'd done a uh, they'd actually done a, a live record prior to this. This is their first studio recording. Uh, they became a bit better known with their uh, follow-up EP to this, which was called Metal Circus, and then released Zen Arcade, a double album in 1984, and that was the one which really broke them. But, um, yeah, no, you're spot on about that garagey sound, and that's one of the reasons I like it. It's just so noisy and energetic. And always the unfortunate thing with Husker Du, they, had, uh, they were with SST Records, who famously uh, they had some massive bands but um not always uh production at a premium and uh so much of Huskadoo stuff I listen to and I think uh boy I'd love to I'd love someone to re-record this and just you know bring out the bass and the drums a bit uh, a bit stronger and uh yeah, pull back on the treble a bit and uh whatever but you can still hear um what great uh, ear for a song I think Bob Mould had because Bob Mould wrote this one. Grant Hart had wrote half. Bob Mould had wrote half. Um, Grant Hart unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but um, Bob Mould's still going strong indeed. He, after Huskadoo, put together the band Sugar um, and his solo career has been going for a good 30 years now post the, the breakup of these guys, which was 1988. And in fact, I think Bob Mole brought out another solo album uh, quite recently, only a few weeks ago. And um, Sugar, and you might have heard some of their band, uh, some of their work. They had a, a big album, Copper Blue, in 1992. But Bob Mould, one of my very favourite uh, singer-songwriters of all time, still going strong. All right, Finey, um, that was an interesting one you threw up last week with uh, Scroobius Pip. Um <laughs> Where's this one coming from? Your number 17. Well, this is an Australian song. It's a song that I actually loved when I first heard it by a band that I went and saw around the time of the release, which was 1984. And I think it, it gave a, a message at the time that was important and for some people very stark. I speak of 
the Indigenous band Coloured Stone out of Seduna in South Australia. They were all family members. Lead singer Bunner Laurie with their best-known piece and I think a pretty well-known number, Black Boy. Now, as I say, we've come a long way since 1984 and have got a long way to go when it comes to the treatment of Aboriginal people and the understanding of where we, non-Aboriginals, sit in the timeline of Australian history with Aboriginal people. But this song gives a very, very simple message and I don't need to give it. All you need to do is listen to the first 30 seconds or at least the first 30, 30 seconds of vocals, Black Boy by Coloured Stone. A shy black boy who came to the city to learn about life and how his people lost their lives. It's an instant, instantly recognisable song, that funny, isn't it? And as soon as I, I heard the opening few bars, it, uh, I remember seeing that on Beatbox, the ABC um, show that used to be on on a Saturday morning, um, a bit of a, a youth culture show, but they do interviews with people and stuff. And, um, yeah, pretty sure this track from 1984. And um, a nice clip, too, uh, with it worth having a look at. And I was reading last night about uh, them shooting the clip and they auditioned um, a lot of kids in that area. And uh, the kid who ended up uh, filming that clip um, is still with us and doing very well. He had a, a sad story. His father had suicided and um, uh, Bunna Laurie has talked about the shyness and the sadness on this kid's face you could really see it uh when they were shooting the clip but um even recently they were playing up in that uh Seduna area and um he the kid from the clip meets up with them all the time and uh is doing very well for himself and he's told them about how he uses that um that song black boy to inspire him to keep him strong uh so it's uh it's t- terrific in that way quite uplifting but a real um I know a lot of Indigenous music people in Australia really identify with that. It's almost an anthem for them, isn't it? It is. It it came out, I think, around the same time as the Warumpi band with um, Black Fella, White Fella. And I've got to say that this song gives a very clear message, a poignant message. But I actually also like the song musically. It, It... it is, and a lot of Aboriginal music has always been beholding to country music, but it's not totally a country sound. It's just got a really nice layback rhythm to it. And so I do like it musically and, of course, the importance of the song. And as you say, a really fitting film clip put together a package that is, for me, something that I love and part of my 20 favourite songs of all time. Yeah, I think a very interesting choice, that one. Uh, well done. Well, certainly, boy, we've covered the gamut of musical styles, even in eight songs between us so far, and uh, probably covering the gamut of um, filmmaking genres as well, I'd suspect. Although, as we move on to our top uh, number 17 favourite film of all time, Uh, This is the first in my list that hasn't been out-and-out comedy. Not that it uh, isn't a funny movie, but I love this movie. And, uh, look, people might not know it that well, although it was actually nominated for Best Picture in the 1979 Academy Awards. So uh, it was a bigger uh, concern that I perhaps remembered. But I remember seeing this when it came out. And absolutely loved it and have watched it several times since. It is called Breaking Away. And it's about a group of four young guys living in Bloomington, Indiana. 
and um, one of them absolutely obsessed with cycling and his heroes are the Italian cycling team and uh, to the point where he begins to speak Italian at home and out in the streets and his mum and dad um, who are great uh, actors cast beautifully and that is uh, Barbara Barry plays his mum uh, curly blonde hair as soon as you see her you'd recognize her from other stuff his dad plays uh, is played by Paul Dooley his dad is rather bemused by his um, predilection for all things Italian and cycling um, his mum is uh, a lot more uh, simpatico I should say is that Spanish might be no, no, that's very well. good. Okay. Yeah, right off the top of my head, that. Uh, anyway, he is the main character, uh, played by uh, Dennis Christopher, plays Dave Stolo, the main character. His mates uh, include Dennis Quaid. This must have been one of his earliest roles as Mike uh, Daniel Stern, who you would have seen a lot of. He plays Cyril, the slightly goofy one. And uh, Jackie Earl Haley, who plays uh, the little guy, Moocher. Um, and the, the main thing about this, apart from the stuff about cycling, is, uh, a, a, I guess, a, it's a bit of a class thing because these are four town kids and they are living uh, where the Indi University of Indiana is. And um, there's a, a bit of a... A battle that goes on between the uh, the guy, people at college and the locals, uh, the kids of the locals who are derisively referred to as cutters, uh, as in stone cutters. And um, there's uh, that's sort of the key industry in the town. And um, there's a bit of a, I guess, inferiority complex on these kids. But um, anyway, Dave Stoller embraces the cycling. Uh, there's a bit of a love interest there with one of the girls who goes to college and a bit of a joust with her college residing boyfriend. So there's a, a love story there. It ends up with um, Dave and his mates forming their own cycling team to compete against the college cycling team. So it's got that big, uh, you know, sporting climate. I, I just sort of um, Rodney Dangerfield back to school, sort of that sort of thing. Um, but it's just a really charming movie. And I, I found funny a lot of American movies, and I love Hollywood, I love American movies, but they don't tend to do a lot of these sort of slice of life, um, uh, I guess, social commentaries, but done with this sort of realism. You know, I find a lot of American movie characters are always a bit overblown and a bit hard to believe. They, Everyone in this is just so sort of natural um, and they're really fully rounded characters. And uh, I think that's a sort of a, a genre you tend to associate more with British cinema. But um, check it out. There's a trailer on YouTube. I think the, the movie's readily available on streaming or you can, I think, hire it on YouTube. But uh, absolutely, always been one of my favourite movies. Um, not, a, not on a grand scale. It certainly wouldn't have cost a heap to make. But uh, really good script, really likeable people, and a great story. I, I really enjoy this film, Breaking Away. I'm tipping. I'm presuming you haven't seen it, Flynn. Incorrect. I oh, you I have. Saw, I reckon I saw it two or three times because I had a couple of friends, a couple of really close friends, who really loved that movie. And I remember my thought of it at the time was that it actually contained nobody that I knew. So it was an American movie, but sort of off mainstream, yet it did hit all the right notes. Now, I'm not sure whether I would watch it now and be as enamoured. It had a love interest, the girl, I think, Catherine, in yep. it. Yep. So uh, what I do recall in the movie was it, it had that sort of right blend for me at the time, of humour, um, a bit of pathos, a bit of romance with a sporting setting. Now, I don't know now because I know that well, I don't want to ruin it for people and be a spoiler, but it, it does all culminate in the sort of finish that is the type of thing that South Park might have been making fun of in that episode with Stan Marsh and the skiing 
episode. Oh, yes. Aspen. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It's one of my favourite episodes, that yeah. one. Stan Dash. Yes. Um, so it is open for a little bit of parody, but there is a great ending to this movie that I remember. And I hope I get this right, Rowan. You'll correct me. Because one of the real fun things about this movie was the immersion into Italian culture. And does the movie not end with him watching the Tour de France and starting a whole new journey with French culture? Yeah, it's a pretty uh, decent punchline, that, isn't it? But, uh, look, a, a great little movie. Although, like I said, I mean, nominated for Oscars and it did okay. So uh, perhaps um, it's certainly a little movie by the standards of uh, some of today's uh, huge studio offerings anyway. Uh, very, very likeable film indeed. Breaking away from... 1979. All right, Finey, what is your number 17 favourite movie ever? Oh, boy. Now, this movie really gripped me. One of those movies. Now, I've got to tell you, when I love a movie, certainly back in my early 20s, I'd go around quoting it and almost immerse myself so deeply in the movie, I became one of the characters. And that was the case with the 1986 David Lynch movie, Blue Velvet. Don't know whether you've seen it, Rowan, or saw I, it back in I, the day. I have seen it, and um, you know what? I, I've got to say, right off the top of my head, this is exactly the sort of movie I would expect you to love, Good. because it's pretty dark and it's pretty quirky. And um, yeah, anyway, I'll let you tell the audience. Well, you've you've hit the nail on the head. It is very dark. In fact, it is David Lynch's vision of unpeeling sort of um, happy America, middle America, that normal veneer that you see when you go through small town America, let's call it. And that's how the movie starts, just all the families, of course, you know, white bread, smiling at the camera. It's a slow motion take. But you dig deeper, even in small town America, as David Lynch wants us to do, and things are anything but normal. And this is the story of young Jeffrey, played by Kyle McLaughlin. His girlfriend, uh, played by Laura Dern, is Sandy. And they are your normal high school sweethearts, ready for the prom. Life couldn't be better. Mum and Pop both all getting on well. And just by accident, Jeffrey comes across Dorothy Valens, played by the beautiful Isabella Rossellini, and she's a woman in distress, and him being the high school hero, the football quarterback, he comes to the rescue. And things aren't that simple because he gets tangled up with a sort of criminal and criminal gang that only David Lynch could come up with, and it's played uh, the, the main villain, one of... Moviedom's famous villains, Frank Booth, played by Dennis Hopper. I'm not going to go into the details of the movie if you haven't seen it, but it is disturbing. It's sort of, at times, so disturbing. It's humorous. It's one heck of a movie. If people know David Lynch, and he's very dark at times, but also humorous in a very dark way movies i don't know well here are some of his famous movies mulholland drive a razor head and then of a completely different genre elephant man that is very different to these sort of movies but he's a great director and as you said rowan it probably is in my wheelhouse because it is quirky it's dark it's memorable and long after this movie, I'd seen this movie, I was walking around impersonating Frank Booth and, yeah, people might have thought I was strange, but I tell you what, it sticks with me to this very day. Well, I've got to say, it's one of those movies that's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's paled on me as time's gone on. I, I've got a bit of a thing these days about, I don't know, self-conscious quirkishness and I think David Lynch is guilty of that in a few of his films it's a bit like how I feel about Quentin Tarantino 
Um, the other thing about this film is it's it's so nasty. There's sort of like, you know, there's no, uh, you know, and I appreciate that not everything's sweetness and light, but there's sort of like, what's the point of it other than some sort of gratuitous uh, weirdness and a bit of, you know, sexual violence. And I know, uh, I know that's a bit of a, um, a feeling among some critics I've spoken to about this film, but it is very well done. I certainly... Well, well I, I defend it as, I mean, you can look at that as, is this just nastiness and violence for nastinesses and violence sake? Is it just meant to be uh, confronting? But again, this and the intent in this movie, I think, is to peel back the veneer of small town America. That and it's it sort of lends itself to the notion that everybody has some skeletons in their closet that what we know of each other, what I know of you, what you know of me, what people know of each other, Rowan, is only the surface. And beneath it, there lies, with all of us, a, a, a private world that is not as presented. So I guess that is the deeper meaning of that movie. Well, it certainly peels back the layers to reveal uh, some genuine ugliness. Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I don't mind it. Um, it's just interesting. You view films differently as you move through different age groups, I suppose. But uh, it's certainly True. a very popular film and worth checking out. So there you go. An interesting discussion on both our songs and movies this week. Next week, we will uh, keep going to number 16. We're still on the nostalgia trail, though, and this time it's involving the footy. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Well, it's flashback time, and um, well, Collingwood supporters, you've been subjected to a bit of pain in this segment for a while now, but uh, you're going to love today because it's your turn. And uh, this was totally coincidental. We didn't um, uh, put heads together on this, but uh, uh, some good results for Magpie fans in footy flashbacks today. The kick is off, Finey. I'm going back to 2009, and it is the knockout semi-final at the MCG between Collingwood and Adelaide, a titanic struggle which uh, veered this way and that uh, got down to the last couple of minutes. The Magpies, five points up. Who would prevail? Big crowd there. The tension, overwhelming. Let's throw to the last couple of minutes. Uh, no, this bloke's more of a full oh, forward. I'll give you that. Well, this is a big ask. He'll be kicking from about 53 metres out on a very tight angle. Can he make the distance, Blighty? Uh, just... The other thing is out there, it, it actually opens up the goal a bit. It's not, it's the angle's tough, but not impossible. There's a beautiful shot of it, a big run up from Kirk Tippett, who kicks towards goal. It might be home! It's a goal! Adelaide's in front! Incredible stuff! Tippett's got four! Have a look at the Crows' uh, forward line. There's hardly anyone there. Everyone's gone to the uh, Magpie forward line. Wood the tap, Shirley. Handcuffed, they'll be happy with that, Adelaide. No problem. Can they hold on now? We couldn't get a draw here, could we? A point down the other end, Stephen? Well, then we got extra time. (laughs) Just what Mark Thompson would love. 29 minutes gone. Play on. Two of you with the tap. Someone's got to get it clear for Collingwood. Will there be a third man up for the Pies? And the other thing is, the umpires aren't bouncing it high at the moment. Ray Chamberlain does his best. Maxwell, the skipper. They're going to have a shot at it. It's a hard free kick to Collingwood. The best kick in the Collingwood team. One of the best kicks in the comp. There is Ben. Time back on. Five corridor, please. Where was the free? Yeah, Rutten held him. It was a great call, I reckon. 
Hope in his heart. Dreams in his head. Jack Anthony. He's done it! Forget all those goals he's ever kicked before. He trained them all for that one. What a game of twists and turns. Is there one left? The clearance to Vince. No, it's not. Yes, he gets a kick, but it's an ineffective one. Huge numbers around the ball. Taken by Dangerfield. Handball smothered. Good win against O'Brien. O'Brien lost his footing. Picked up by Dangerfield. There's the sign! Collingwood are through to the preliminary final in the most sensational of fashions. And heartbreak for the Adelaide Crows. What a game of football. Well, I mean, Boy, what, what a finish to that game, Rowan. It looked as though Adelaide had done enough with that Kurt Tippett goal and then that controversial finish. But it was a, a wonderful pressure kick by John Anthony. And I guess, I guess Adelaide had a fair reason to be upset with the result. Uh, well, not in my book, really. I mean, it's it's the free kick was there, and that that's the interesting thing in the commentary. You'll hear Robert Wall say, "Where was the free kick?" But Steve Quartermain, I think it was, spotted it, and there was a subsequent replay from side on. And whilst Andy Otten had uh, come across the front to take a, a lovely mark in the background, Ben Rutten, uh, now Essendon coach, but then all Australian fullback, had uh, Anthony held by one arm. I mean, Anthony couldn't go for the ball because Ben Rutten was holding him by the arm. So the the free kick was absolutely there and the replays confirmed that. Not always picked up, but uh, I reckon if they're there, you've got to pay them. So really, Ben Rutten only had himself to blame for that one. Absolute clutch kick, of course, from Anthony and uh, went through and pandemonium ensued. And um, uh, of course all a moot point in the end because um, the Pies got cleaned up by the Cats in the preliminary final the following week. Perhaps the Crows might have done better. Who knows? But uh, the Pies were a side on the rise as they would prove the next year. This is not all they find. It wasn't just about this finish because um, interesting sequel to this, some uh, emotion-charged crowd scenes shot outside the ground after the game by various news crews and um, one of these has become a very popular uh, meme if you like over the years a very disgruntled and quite emotional uh, Adelaide supporter asked by a news crew about his reaction to that free kick and the Crows pipped at the final post. And uh, let's hear what he had to say. Absolutely, the Crows were robbed. Right in front of me. Right in front of me. Boy, talk about tearful and emotional. Or I've got to say, that is the classic. And I don't think we had the term meme back in 2009, but that's your classic meme, Rowan. It's one of my favourite lines, finding. In fact, one I recreated uh, for <laughs> the age whilst I was doing some video. In fact, every time I hear it, I've got to do my own version. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Crows were robbed right in front of me, right in front of me. <laughs> Spot on. Uh, <laughs> I like the emphasis in front of me. It's beautiful. Uh, I wonder where that man is now. Perhaps we can track him down. All right, that is uh, my flashback. Uh, but your one involves the pies prevailing uh, narrowly as well. Tell us about it. This was a ripping game of football early in season 2016. Of course, we had not gone on the magnificent run of premierships and dominance that Richmond enjoyed from 2017 onwards. but. This one was an absolute classic. Uh, we picked the game up. There's about a minute or so to go. And the pies are down. Let's see exactly who are the heroes in black and white. 
McCaffer, no time to waste, gave it to Sinclair, Sinclair to Adams, he's confronted, gets it inside the forward 50, holding down the ground, how will they call it, the dangerous Fasolo is getting the free kick against Brantz, he's kicked five. Collingwood, the 12th goal beckons and he puts it through, it's been a Fasolo effort of sorts. So five points at half-time, five points at three-quarter time, five points now. Fasolo, five goals after half-time, six for the match. Collingwood with a real chance. Greenwood out of the centre. Fasolo again. Oh. Didn't get a crack at it, and well done. They doubled up and Vlosslund took the mark. But Collingwood are in their forward 50. McIntosh in the back pocket, wonderful judgment by Vlosslund. Didn't get ruffled. Eyes only for the football and judged it onto his chest. McIntosh kicks around this broadcast side. Ball close to the boundary. It's out. Just under 73,000. The big fellas lock up. Hampson knocks it down. Koch in a hurried kick. It opens things up for the Magpies. Ramsey to a left footer alongside so Williams can go for distance. Dangerous high ball. They're queuing up down there. Cloak got a hand to it. Hooley got a hand pass out. Cochin. Slick hands away. Ellis's hand pass. Miles a chance. Gets it to a man under the pump. Brandon Ellis. Bounces awkwardly for Williams. Ellis dives in. And they tie it up. And both coaches on the edge of their respective seats. Wide of the pack. Here's a chance for Greenwood. In and out of trouble. Ramsey to read. They can't make a mistake now, Collingwood. It's got to be smooth sailing from here. Williams. Grundy. Trelaw. Arches his back. Goes for goal. Penderbury had a look. Fasolo's kick six. He's held on to. No free kick. Ooh. Lost that away. Is that deliberate? It is. One last roll of the dice. He can run around. Remember, he's got ten metres, Bruce. He can run around a fair way. Sets it up. One mark. Hasn't happened. Still a chance. Is it a goal? It is. The poison in front. Was it Grundy? It's Grundy. It is unbelievable. Drops a sitter earlier tonight and may have delivered the winning blow. Oh, Tiger, heartbreak. Um, and it seemed to fit in with that uh, unlucky Richmond narrative, didn't it, Finally, I covered this game and I remember the sense of despair among the Tigers, leading by, was it, 11 points with under two minutes left on the clock for solo goals and then that last uh, goal square scramble and a very quick thinking Brody Grundy. It just seemed to confirm all those sort of stereotypes about Richmond, didn't it? In fact, they were still going a year later when the Tigers broke that premiership drought. Remember, uh, they lost three games by under a kick. They lost uh, to GWS and they lost to the Bulldogs and uh, Fremantle might have been the other one as well. So really took that flag to shatter all those popular perceptions about the uh, about the Tigers. But massive Friday night game, this one. Round two, 72,700 people in attendance, a very, very exciting finish indeed. Uh, good call on that one. So enjoy, Collingwood fans. I guess we owe you a few after subjecting you to so much <laughs> comment in this segment. All right, uh, just about brings us to the end, but uh, there's one favourite segment left. Let's do that now. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, Finey. Well, uh, my rant last week, you might care to know, uh, I adapted for uh, video and uh, gave it a spin on um, Twitter. And uh, it's done all right, actually. It been, seems to have struck a bit of a chord there. I don't know if people remember that. They won't always be political. Don't worry. But I am on a hobby horse again this week, Finey. And it's about people constantly ripping in to the government broadcaster. I've had enough of it, so I've penned a few thoughts and I'd like you to count me in. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off with conservatives in decent obsession with the ABC, Finey. We know culture wars historically have been the go-to for a large proportion of Liberal Party politicians in this country, but the determination of so many pollies to stick it to the national broadcaster 
has always been more of the creepy stalker variety. If only the ABC chair Ida Buttrose could take out an intervention order. She sounded like she wanted to the other day when having a sizable crack at the latest Senate inquiry into the ABC's complaints handling process initiated by a Liberal backbencher. Just another in a long line of Liberals whose rationale is always, it's not fair, they're not saying what I want them to. Buttrose, of course, is just another in a long line of Liberal-appointed ABC chairs picked to bring this supposedly rogue body into line, but whom inevitably end up defending the organisation from attacks by its government masters. You'd think that would tell you something about how well and how fairly the ABC does its job. But no, whenever the chair of the day actually sticks up for the organisation they're running, the claim then becomes that they've been captured or as irrelevant liberal blowhard Michael Kroger put it the other day, a victim of Stockholm syndrome. Ah, yes, that old line. It's not just the politicians, though, obviously. Competing media have been wetting their pants about the ABC and its supposed bias since Mr Squiggle's pencil nose apparently bent ever so slightly to the left back in the 1960s. But the paranoia has always flown in the face of just about every poll ever conducted about public trust in media, the ABC, time after time, a runaway number one with the Australian people. Maybe the pollsters are all part of some sinister commie plot as well. We know this is what Andrew Bolt thinks because that's one of about three recurring narratives in his daily vomit of bile. The others, of course, climate change denialism and running protection for, well, let's say clergymen of dubious moral repute. He's far from the only one, obviously. Check out Sky News if you can stomach it. It's a cavalcade of anti-ABC rhetoric. Even more obsessed with the ABC than Bolt is Chris Kenny. Yeah, that bloke who sued the ABC about a joke involving him and a canine. But all those wacky funsters on Sky News are obsessed. Rowan Dean, Prue McAfternoon Tipple, that Caleb kid with the stuck-on beard who dresses up like an adult, and Daisy Cousins, the one who looks like she's running the local saloon bar in Blazing Saddles. No surprise, really, when 70% of this country's media is run by Rupert Murdoch, who's made it a life mission to take down the national broadcaster. And as if the Nine Network, which now runs two major metropolitan newspapers, Seven West Media or Network 10, are going to cut the ABC any slack. Which means, when it comes to defending the interests of the ABC, that leaves, well, the ABC. And so fearful have they become of further government attacks, they're not bad at a bit of self-flagellation either. What I love most about this tired old hobby horse, though, is the sorts of people who ritually complain about leftist bias never actually seem to watch it. They clearly have missed the sizable roll call of conservative voices who consistently get a run on shows like Q&A, The Drum and Insiders. As to current affairs, well, it's no contest, really. The likes of Four Corners routinely breaking big stories, pursuing in-depth investigations and winning major awards for doing so, whilst their commercial equivalents are shaming shonky tradesmen or doing exclusives on the latest magic weight loss pill. Let's call a spade a shovel, Finey. This has never been about bias. It's been about a group of overly entitled sooks who crack the sads if any form of media dares contradict their worldview, even when the vast bulk of that media is happily towing the party line. It's like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum because it's nap time and he's not allowed to watch The Wiggles. Ironically, another ABC production. Maybe the gang who brought you a hot potato and big red car could write another ode to this sad little exercise. I'd simply call it Grow Up. Yeah, good work, Rope. Good work. And when you, when you look at the quality of current affairs reporting in this country, boy, is there a dearth of it on commercial TV, isn't there? Uh, yes, fair to say. All right, um, that was pretty heavy, so uh, we need you to lighten the tone a bit. I'm ready to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. Well, this actually is a rant that I was going to do about four weeks ago. It got lost somewhere in the ether, but I've pulled it out, so it's a rewind. What? None out there honestly believes that this Australian team heading into the upcoming T20 World Cups has a snowball's chance in hell of winning. I mean, have a look at it. What is it? The resurrection of the test team from three years ago? Don't they know that it's a different brand of cricket? 
Aaron Finch has been injured. So if he regains full form, maybe we can get him back into the nick he was prior to getting injured. What's that? A run of zeros and ones and zeros? I don't think it's great having a captain who scores in binary code. Dave Warner and his fellow miscreants, Steve Smith, are back in the team. Are they T20 players? Who knows? If they behave, if they have their thinking caps on right, maybe they can make a contribution. But their latest efforts haven't been much to pin your hat on. And how about our number three? The Jesus Christ of Australian cricket. Dead and resurrected, not once, not twice, but thrice, Mitch Marsh. Is he batsman? Is he bowler? Is he capable? The answer is no. And talking about resurrections, how about Matthew Waiter's keeper? I thought he was yesterday's news and fish and chip wrappers about two seasons ago. Where did he regain his form? It wasn't in the IPL. It was barely in the Big Bash. Did I miss out the Canadian T20 Premier League? I don't know. I don't know why he's in the team. And as for our fast bowling stocks, they seem to operate okay in test matches. But Mitchell Stark better get a good brand of 50-plus sunscreen for the top of his mouth. Because in T20, he seems to be gawking back over his head for the sixes that pile off his bowling. Zampa, a decent leg spinner, should do okay, but our all-rounder Stoinis, less so. His bowling tends to get the whack, and his best batting is up the top of the order. So I don't know what on earth he thinks he's going to be doing in the middle order. I've just watched the last of our lead-up practice matches. It was supposed to be a T20 game against India, but it was more a T13 game. So quickly did they run down our meagre total. Now I know. All the bookmakers will be conservative and have the Australians a second or third favourite because past history says we do well. But they are cowards. We recently lost a T20 series against Bangladesh where we couldn't win a game. So if they're outsiders, we should be further outside than them. This Australian T20 team coming into the current World Cup, what are their chances? Zil! Nada, no hope whatsoever. Overrated yesterday's news. And I'll lay my reputation on it. That's a good rant, Fanny. Um hate to break it wrong. Hate to break it to you. Actually, I admire your um uh, self-deprecation there and spending three minutes uh mounting an argument for something that has already been shown to be erroneous and thus your own. Uh, well, stupidity, not stupidity, but uh, yes, interesting. They certainly turn it around, didn't they? No, well, I, what I'm trying to point out is what a great victory it was because everything I said was true. Finch was, had been injured and was in no great form beforehand. It wasn't really a T20 team. They'd gone back to sort of remnants of their old test team and one day, Jamie. It just made it an amazing T20 victory. So I dipped my lids to them. I didn't think that that was the right team to get the job done. Either did everybody else after they got pants by England in the second of the round robin games. But that was a brilliant effort by the Australians. Brilliant. I've got a theory about T20. I just reckon it's easier to turn around form in that because there's so much chance about that format of the game. Um, you know, one attempted slog comes off, the next one sees you bold. I mean, it's, it's I don't know. I'm sort of gone off T20 a bit, but not trying to downplay the magnitude of the achievement by the Aussies. It was a good win indeed. Do you reckon, uh, I don't know, did it get the sort of coverage or level of interest in this country you might have thought, finally? Well, you had to be a night owl. So I immersed myself in it and, you know, Fox and their dedicated cricket station, they were all over it. They had nightly programs. And they were good shows, by the way. That was Brendan Julian, Mark Waugh, Adam Gilchrist. And that, that it was really actually well covered. So if I'll tell you what, if you led normal hours, you wouldn't have known that it, it was going on. But if you wanted to immerse yourself, every game shown live. And then during the day, sort of the abridged version, it was funny. 
they had an abridged version of the abridged version of cricket. That certainly condensed it down into uh, sixes and wickets. Well, they've got to fill a lot of content, do Fox Sports. All right, that uh, brings us to the end of the show. I tell you what, I've worked up a bit of an appetite pumping this one out. So uh, I think I might be heading off to a certain establishment in Albert Park, Finey. Do you know where I'm headed? You will. I don't know. Now, I know you don't need to put your sat nav on it, but if people don't know where 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park is, most cars will take you there nowadays. Just log it in, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Andrew's Hamburgers, and you'll be giving your sat-nav a kiss because you will have enjoyed the best burger, well, I'm going to say it, you've ever had. Here, here, I can only endorse those sentiments. Thanks for listening. Again, everyone, like I said, the National Draft coming up next week. Uh, you can continue to support this podcast by visiting the supporter page at ACAST, wherever you listen to us, or you can visit the Footyology website, and there are links to Patreon, where for seven dollars Australian per month, you can become an official Footyology patron. And the content flowing on the website, despite the fact it's off season, we're running plenty of politics at the moment. Finally, that's certainly firing people up on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, we've got a preview of the upcoming A League season today, courtesy of Australia's most noteworthy soccer voice, Simon Hill. Simon writing some terrific stuff for us at the moment. And uh, like I said, if you're on Twitter or so inclined, check out Roko's rant on that, um, cracking some decent numbers. So uh, see what you think and then jump on and abuse me like uh, a lot of other people do. I'm getting thoroughly used to it these days. Thanks to your company, everyone. We'll see you again next week.